<laughs> Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, James Ellis. Now, James is an entrepreneur here in the Valley, but I have to be honest with you, he refuses to be labeled and um, has, has his fingers in many pies, shall we say, teaching, coaching, running gyms, all kinds of things. And uh, so I guess I'll just say welcome aboard. Thank welcome you. in. Thanks for coming up. Thanks for taking the time. And um, I, I can't wait to dive into your story, brother. I'm excited. Yeah, me too, man. So you have a lot of things going on, as we said. And I know that, you know, we were talking off mic about not wanting to be labeled not wanting to pigeonhole yourself to a particular story. I'm just curious, where does that idea come from? Oh, man. Um, I think that it's just a, in the effort to be as complete a human as possible, right? I think you just try to collect experience. And if I can do that from various different avenues, then I can be more equipped for whatever's coming next. And so I've got a, I don't know, a colorful background maybe. And looking forward to whatever's next, like whatever the future is. Right on, brother. It sounds like you have a, a, I mean, to me, when I hear that, I hear bravery. I hear a little bit of courage in that. You know, you're not too worried about tomorrow. You feel like you kind of have a handle on anything that comes your way. I feel like, like no matter what, we're going to find a way to get through it. Um, And I think that that's, I don't know where that mentality comes from. Maybe it's from, from athletics. Maybe it's intrinsic. Maybe it's, I don't know, something I learned along the way, but that's kind of the the premise of or what's been underlying this whole thing is whatever happens we'll we'll deal with it definitely well i know that one of the things that we touched on and that i've i've picked up in following you is obviously you've you've grown your business you've picked up a few gems over the last year year and a half or so um, so you're obviously doing some things right there. I know today marks three years of sobriety and I know you don't want to be congratulated, so I'm not going to congratulate <laughs> you on that. Well, thank you. <laughs> right? So today's kind of a big day and, and I actually feel honored. I didn't know that this was uh, an anniversary of anything, but I think that's a big deal. And, you know, we talked a little bit about what led to, um, you know, sort of your dark days, if we will, if we can label them that. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you're willing to maybe go back in time a little bit and share a little bit about your upbringing and your story. Because I feel like uh, having a little color around that will allow people to latch on to you as a person in, in the now a little bit deeper. So would you mind taking us back to young James's life and oh, man. giving us a snapshot of what it was like coming up for you? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's tough when you look back at your life because when you're young, you don't really recognize that you're any different from anybody else. Um, you just sort of like your environment is what you become used to. Um, but then as I've gotten older, I've realized that some of the things that were normal to me were not normal um, to a lot of people, or at least the people that I'm surrounded with now. Um, a couple of things that stick out are I didn't have laundry in my own my own house until I was 12. I didn't have my own bedroom until I was 12. Um, I, I grew up with a single mom. Uh, my parents were divorced from an early age. Um, she's a lot younger than my dad, 20 years. Um, Yeah, I don't know where to go f- with this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Like, um, well, I grew up, uh, I, I grew up a, a child of a single parent, right? And so she was working a lot and there was a lot of, uh, we didn't have a lot of money. And so like, I, I learned to be independent from a really young age. And I think she was under a lot of stress that she was not yet able to handle. Um, I think now about, I'm, I'll be 35 this year and for 
to put myself in her shoes as a 35 year old, she would have um, a seven and a 12 year old, right? And for me to have those things, even with an education and a background and a lot of things that she didn't have the, the, the benefit of having, I don't know what the hell I would do. And so um, I, I recognize the difficulty there. And, but as a, as a kid, you, you, you want to be like your friends. And I wanted to play sports and my mom didn't want me to play sports because sports are expensive and they're time consuming. And there are, there are a lot of things that like, you know, she wanted to provide and couldn't, um, that I just did anyway. And I found a way, um, maybe that's where it comes from. Yeah. I was just I, thinking that. Yeah. As you said that. Riding my bike to my friend's house so that their parents could take me to practice. Um, you know, I, I walked myself to school at eight years old. Um, which I, I don't think you can do these days. <laughs> yeah. um, but then I got, I got old enough to start making more of my own decisions, and th- that quickly led to wanting to fit into the, the, the groups that I was a part of. And in sports, especially you get into high school, um, and you, you get to meet older kids who are able to drive and then able to like, find access to parties and drinking and like, all that kind of stuff. And I... I, I as someone who wasn't really that well equipped at dealing with feelings, um, it was an easy way to fit in. It was an easy way to make the, the, the tough internal battles kind of disappear for a little while. And, and I was good at it. <laughs> like I don't do anything halfway. So I, uh, I, I went all in. Jumped in with both feet. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, um, I feel like a lot of people, so you you said you're B35, so that puts you what, like born in like what? 80, 86. 86, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of people who are born in like the 70s and 80s especially, I think they have a similar story because that generation of parents, you know, they, they're, they're like first, maybe second, third generation off the farm, mm-hmm. you know, like they've gone into the city from these rural areas and a lot of them just didn't have the tools, man. You know, I know p- my parents got married when they were 19. Oh, wow. Neither one of them had the tools. They both came from abusive households. You know, I used to wish my parents were single. Like, they would just scream and yell and throw stuff at each other half the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you never knew what you're walking into. But um, I think similar to your story, I learned a certain amount of, you know, sort of self-reliance because they couldn't be depended on. And it helped me and hurt me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm wondering if, if that's, you know, something that you can identify with. Oh, Absolutely. Um, I'll bring the, the laundry back up. You know, when I, when I was younger, I was excited actually to, that I was being taught how to do my own laundry. <laughs> um, and then I realized when now I'm responsible for all my own laundry and then same thing with cooking and same thing with this and that you, you pick up a lot of responsibility at an early age. And again, I didn't, I didn't know anything different. And I think that looking back now, I, I appreciate it. Right. Because it's it, it's responsible for a lot of the like the, the benefits that I now have. Um, but going through the middle, once you once you realize that you have that that moment of like, is this fair? Is this like, why should I have to deal with this? Uh, you have all those kinds of thoughts. And I don't I don't know what the right answer is. I like I think about now having my own children and what I would do if I would do something differently. And it's hard to find balance. It's hard. It, it's. Definitely. I was just curious when you, when you said what you said, if is, is there a, like a moment of clarity when you're coming up at a certain age where you had that moment of realization where it's like, Hey, things may not be the way they should be or could be. And this isn't fair. Do you remember, you know, at, at a point in your life where that 
that switch sort of flipped or is it something that you just look back on now and have a realization of? Um, I think, I think right around the time that I graduated high school and was going into college, um, you know, about to be on my own for the first time or having the opportunity to be on my own is when I made the decision to, I don't know, to not be a victim, right? We, we, you talked earlier about, um, not wanting to be defined or not wanting to be labeled. And I had a really, a really tough time for a long time when, when, I, when I went off to college of not knowing, not wanting to be defined by my upbringing and saying like only weak people are affected by their past and I'm going to be tough and I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, um, and so I tried really hard for a long time to pretend as if things were normal. Um, and that became increasingly difficult as life experience proved otherwise. Uh, and I don't know if that moment of clarity is the right way to look at it, uh, or is, is, I think it's, it's just a, you get beaten over the head enough times. It's like, it comes in waves, right? And wave after wave, eventually you just sort of settle into where I am currently. Yeah, I, I can feel that for sure. I, I relate to that uh, story to a certain degree because if I look at my parents, like my dad was uh, diagnosed with polio when he was like eight months old, so he never ran. He never had the ability to run. So sometimes when I run, I think about, oh, well, my dad was never able to run, so I should be able to run, you know. Mm. Um, but he, the thing that's key about that is he couldn't get away from his abusive father. So the other kids, if, if dad was on a, a tear, they could run and hide. He was just the whipping boy, right? My mom learned, so he learned to placate and like calm everything down. My mom, exact opposite, you know, she'll pick a fight with anyone, you know? And so those two together, you know, with her wanting to fight and him wanting to placate, you can imagine me as a child going, dude, what are you, you know, are, you know, like, are you so weak that you're going to allow this to happen in your own house? Right. Mm. And it was one of those moments where it's like, okay, do I think of him as weak or, you know, here's a person who overcame many, many obstacles to get to this point where he has a, you know, a, a successful career and a family and all the rest of these things. And he had a fraction of the tools that he's given me. So maybe I'm the one who's weak, you know, that, I think role reversal that I love that, uh, the perspective that comes with experience, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I had an abusive childhood and I look back and you know, my mom used to hit me with a belt often. Um, that happened all the way into high school when I like had showers, like I, I showered in a group with wrestling for wrestling. And, uh, I remember, I remember growing up and being hit and then her crying afterwards and hugging me and telling me that she loved me and that it was for my own good and, and all these things. And, and you get pissed off as a child for like, like that's, that's a very confusing scenario. Um, but then you look back and as a, as a single, as a single parent trying to fit both roles of both like, uh, the authority and the, the softer relationship, like, uh, I don't know what the word like it the would compassion, be. Like yeah. the compassion. Yeah. more feminine side. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then having, not having, you look at her history and she came from an abusive household and it, it's just, a, it's a pattern of behavior. And when you don't know any better, that's all, and that's all you know, that's what you do um and you stop placing blame at some point i think um and you just recognize it for what it is and 
if you can have those conversations with the people that they that are involved in them, like my mom, for example, we have a great relationship. We spoke to her earlier today. Um, you just recognize that people are doing the best they know how to do. And that's not necessarily the best they can. Um, it's just, it is what it is. And, and rather than trying to win, I think if you can realize that you're on the same team, um, you can get a whole lot further. Yeah. I, I, I can feel that deeply. I did a seminar one time where, you know, we were kind of going through these old wounds sorts of things. And the exercise was to imagine your parent as a child, you know, and imagine what their life was like and imagine the tools and the support or lack thereof that they received when they were coming up. Mm -hmm. And then you see them as adults and you realize that adults are just bigger versions of that same person. Mm -hmm. And then you can really have an appreciation for, you know, what they did or didn't do <laughs> from a, from a more informed place. Right? Sure. Yeah. Um, we were talking about Joe Rogan earlier yeah. and uh, I've been, I've been a fan since long, even long before the podcast days when he was just a stand-up comedian. And uh, there's a part where he talks about growing up and, thinking one day that you're like that there are real adults out there who know better right you know you know this is going yeah. um and having to come to the realization at some point and for him it was like yeah when you're in your 20s and the back boy calls you sir at the grocery store <laughs> and you're just like oh wow when did this happen but you do you you recognize at some point that like your parents are just they're children of children and uh and and that's who we are now too and i think that in the world that we're in we have the ability to we're so inundated with information from all these different sources. Um, but there's some good in that where you can see so many more people's perspective than you've ever been able to see before. And you can see the lives of people who you would never interact with otherwise. And it allows you, if you're paying attention, to, to take it all in. And again, like I said before, recognize that everyone's, everyone's using the tools that they have to the best of their ability as far as they're concerned. Yeah, for sure. Are you familiar with uh, David Foster Wallace by any chance? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so you've probably heard his great speech, you know, This is Water. Mm -hmm. and, and for anyone out there listening, if you've never, you know, just what, YouTube it probably? Just oh, yeah. Pull it up on YouTube, uh, David Foster Wallace, This is Water. And I think what you and I are both kind of getting at is the fact that everybody's living out the story that they've written or that someone's given to them, but they don't know that they're doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they don't know that they're living in someone else's book or that they've sort of unconsciously picked up these habits or these behaviors and they're acting them out based on, you know, the way that someone else showed them how to do it kind of sure. thing. And the whole idea behind the speech of this is water, you know, it's kind of like the idea of the fish doesn't know it's, it's in water. It's like humans don't know that they're in this story that someone else gave them. And it's just the most beautiful speech. And I can't believe that guy committed suicide. Crazy. He even talks about it in... He does talk yeah. about it, yeah. And and watch the twenty minute version, not yes, the not the, the ten version. not the ten minute happy one. Mm -hmm. Get into the real stuff. The real stuff, yeah, exactly. Invest the time, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've probably listened to that. Like I, I, there are certain things that I, I go back and listen to over and over and over again. I find, and that's one of them that I've I've probably heard that a dozen times, if not more, um, and introduced it to other people. And there's, there's certain things I've found over the years that have helped me sort of like they're anchors, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it was actually, I spent last night for about two hours on YouTube just going down a rabbit hole of TED Talks and some Jordan Peterson and some Joe Rogan and just some some people I've, I've noticed over the years are saying the things I feel um, or, or, or doing the things that I want to do or like, like living the life that I, I want for myself and 
again, I think if you're paying attention, you can glean a lot from that. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm curious though, um, being that this is water is something that you, you said you'd anchored to a couple of times. Um, what are some of the uh, key points that really resonate with you from that uh, speech? Um, ooh, that's a great question. I'm sure there's probably a handful. Yeah. Well, the, the first one that comes to mind and maybe I can tie it into some of the other things I just said is, uh, the religious argument of, uh, of two people having the same experience and being able to glean completely different, uh, like, how do you say that? Two different, two completely different conclusions from the same experience based on their, their belief system. Mm -hmm. And again, watch the video. Definitely watch the video. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and again, and realizing that your reality is your own and that somebody else's reality is their own and you guys are experiencing this sort of shared reality there's some maybe like maybe there's an objective truth that's somewhere in the middle of those two but um but that each person's experience is valid and so i think that's that's an important thing to to kind of keep it in, in mind um another thing i like is is you know, when he talks about like sitting in traffic or sitting in the grocery store or sitting in, in any of these things where you you have the tendency to go automatically to your your my default setting, um, the, that how can all this, like, how do I say that? That if you're, if you're not conscious, your default setting becomes how deeply wrong this is for me, for these other people to be in my way or to, to, <laughs> yeah. And, and they're all thinking the same thing about you. And there's some level of like, I'm not, I don't, I don't know the right word verbiage for it to say like, it's not that you don't matter. It's not that you're insignificant, but we're not as significant as we like to think, right? Um, I think he also says that every every experience he's ever had, he's been at the absolute center of. And so in his mind, if he's not careful, he becomes the center of the universe. And I have a tendency to feel that way. I'm sure there are times that you do also. 100%. And if you just take a couple breaths and realize like, I am one of 8 billion people who exist right now, not even who have existed thousands or further millions of years ago. Um, all I can really affect is my immediate circle, myself and those around me. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, I, I was wondering if you'd bring up that uh, grocery store traffic example thing because it's so true, right? Like the you're at the store and some old lady wants to write a check and the, the default setting goes to God damn it. This old lady's writing a check kind of a thing, mm -hmm. you know, instead of like, okay, well this is her reality. This is how she lives. And you know, she probably doesn't do debit cards or understand the technology. And so why am I sitting here judging her? Mm -hmm. You know, she understands what she's done, what she's doing. She's probably done it her entire life. And here we go. Yeah. You know? And uh, I think of Stephen Covey's book where he's talking about paradigm shifts I think it's in seven habits where he, there's a guy on a subway with his kids, right? And the kids are going ape shit on the subway, jumping all over the place, driving people crazy. And finally someone, you know, has the balls to walk over to the guy and say, Hey, can you please control your kids? And, and the guy like reaches up from this daze that he's been sitting in and he's like, Oh, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. We're, we're coming from the hospital. Her, her, their mother just died. And then, of course, the other person's like, oh, <laughs> you know, now all of a sudden everything is different. It's like, okay, there's a good reason this is happening, at least, you know, from this person's perspective. And so am, is my inconvenience so important as to overwrite what this person's experiencing right now? Probably not, you know. And I feel, and maybe it's just the, the pages that I follow, um, but it almost becomes, 
you see it so often that it doesn't, it, it becomes almost meaningless of, uh, that everyone has their own personal experience and that you should keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, I don't mean that it's meaningless. I mean that like, that's not the right way to say it. But I think you, I think I feel what you're saying though, because like, you know, I mean, you can say something so often that, that it loses its meaning. Yeah. You know? Um, but the, the, the idea itself is so deeply important. Mm-hmm. But we seldom go deep enough in our thought process to have it register, mm-hmm. you know, something pro- profound, right? And that's, Take it back to this is water. That's the real value of real education yes. uh, where you have the capacity to to do that. Um, yes. And that I think, I don't know if you can get there without some sort of hardship, whatever that is. Right. Whether it's voluntary or or not. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, today, obviously, we're going up in an era. And there's, there's data on this. Uh, there's a great book called The Coddling of the American Mind, if you guys want to check it out, where you talk about how um, successive generations in an established country generally tend to mature slower. And I think we're seeing that, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's, and it's not the same thing as, Oh, the generation that came after me is weak, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Factually you can look and you can see people at the age of 20 or 22 aren't getting their driver's license. They're staying home with mom and dad. They're, you know, spending more time alone. Th- this sort of thing is actually happening. So they're, they're refusing to sort of leave the nest. And, and we're seeing this happen. But then when uh, people who lack the experience, like what you're talking about, go into the world, there's a certain sense of entitlement. Like, why aren't things lining up for me now? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, okay, well, it didn't go my way, so what do I need to do different within myself to actually create a positive outcome next time, right? It's like you were saying earlier, it's being a victim versus being responsible for your reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you learn that as an athlete really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, when someone's faster than you, you learn to run faster, um, right? Like, you know, it's not fair that this person's faster than me. Nobody says that. Um, you don't deal with that in sport um, or, or you know, insert athletic endeavor there. Um, and I think that that's, I, I really, looking back, I'd say that that's probably the, the, the other anchor, um, some sort of athletics throughout my entire life. Um, I, I did. I went from 10 to 30 without an off season, um, without really ever having something without, without ever not having something to train for. That's amazing. And um, I think that that's shaped a lot of who I am now. How did you escape that 20 to 30 bracket? You know, a lot of people have that early athletic background and then they get into that 20s decade and then it's just like I'm sitting behind a desk, you know, gaining a five or six pounds a year kind of a thing. And then you wake up at 30 and it's like, oh, maybe I should try CrossFit. <laughs> um, luckily, I had that earlier than than most. Um I found CrossFit. I'll come back to how that, maybe it'll all come full circle. Um, but I found CrossFit in 2007, uh, which is the year I turned 21. And it was also the year that the movie 300 came out. And I wanted to, I wanted to dress up as a Spartan for Halloween. My birthday's the day before, uh, my 21st birthday. And so then I looked into, well, how did these guys train? And you learn that they went to a gym in Utah called Jim Jones and they were doing CrossFit, early, the early days of CrossFit. And I was in school for exercise science um, at University of Illinois, which is regarded as one of the best kinesiology schools in the country. And three years in, I didn't know what a snatch or a clean and jerk was. Um, I had been an athlete at that point for 10, 11 years. And it was amazing to me that I had to learn that through some renegade fitness program and not from the 
division one collegiate strength coaches that we were working with on a daily basis. So they weren't programming that for anyone? No. Uh, really? I knew what a hang clean was. Okay. And, and we used straps and it looked terrible. That's a big and football movement. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. Um, and that's who they, they, all of those guys were former football coaches and their primary concern was the U of I's football team. And they just also had to deal with us. You boys got to fire off the line. <laughs> Better get them cleans done. Yeah. Um, But then I found that outlet early. So as soon as high school sports were over and collegiate sports were over, I immediately had something new that I could compete against my friends. And then I learned about the sport of Olympic weightlifting through CrossFit, found that, and then have run with it ever since. Yeah, it's amazing, man. I mean, uh, the, the I think uh, the, the Oli community owns, owes CrossFit like a big thank you. You know, I, I really Absolutely. feel like they put it back on the map. When I joined USA Weightlifting in 2010, I think, um, they had something like 6,000 members. And I don't remember when. That's nationally? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I remember somewhere early on in that journey, it, had, it couldn't have been, I think I still lived in Illinois, so it had to be like 2012. They had tripled that number. And I have no idea where they're at now. But it's my first national meet was in a warehouse in Mobile, Alabama, and we lifted on top of stacks of plywood. And now they're being hosted in major cities and it's a gorgeous venue. And it's been really cool to see the evolution of, of that sport alongside CrossFit. Yeah, absolutely. And then also as I've like grown and come up through it. Definitely, definitely. So, I mean, I think you mentioned off mic that when you were in, in school, you were, a, you were an athlete, obviously, but then you also were cheerleading at mm -hmm. college level, right? Mm -hmm. Which is no joke, right? So how are you guys training um, uh, to, to, to perform those stunts at that level at that age? Where, where you, you, you were just basically doing like gym, gym rat type stuff? or you A lot of bench press. A lot of bench press. <laughs> <laughs> A lot more bench press than I, than I should have been. <laughs> um, looking back, I don't think we were... I mean, we were considered a Division One sport. Um, I competed at UCA Nationals, but we didn't really get... I don't think that our strength and conditioning program was sufficient for what we were doing. Um, you know, we were, we were basically bodybuilding in the gym and then going to practice to train. And I would, I would expect if you're... You're basically power cleaning and, and jerking, for lack of a better term, or push-pressing people... Um, I think that you should learn those movements for the barbell before, uh, <laughs> yeah, before your before another life is in your you hands. Drop someone on their head. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> barbells don't complain as much when you drop them. <laughs> um, I don't remember the original question now, but yeah, I, I, I feel just like talking about training methods. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I think that uh, some version of CrossFit would have been a lot more conducive to the type of stuff we were doing. Right. And I think that that's also probably if you just look at the strength and conditioning world, they're learning that also. Um, I started my personal training career around that same time, 2007. And that was back when we were just learning about foam rolling, mm -hmm. right? And for a while, if you remember, if you've been in fitness that long, like that was everything. It was the end all be all. Like you, we were curing cancer with foam rollers <laughs> for a while. And then we recognized that, yes, they're useful for certain applications, but they're not the end all be all. And I think that what people need to re recognize sometimes is that, Fitness and nutrition are very, very young sciences, and we don't know all the answers. And so I think you, like we've been talking about earlier, like you have to pay attention to the world around you and, and see what's working 
discard what isn't and uh, and continue to evolve. I totally agree with you on the aspect of it being a young science. I'm curious where that perspective comes from. Like, what are you basing that on? Um, part of it is that that experience as a like as a collegiate athlete working with the people who you think are professionals, right? Or I shouldn't say you think are, they are. Um, they're working, again, with the, the best knowledge that they have, right? And uh, if you were to step in that room now, 10 years later, 12 years later, um, I'm sure that, that those training methods look completely different. And that's, it's noticeable in the abilities of today's athletes versus even, even 10 years ago. Um, I mean, again, look at, let's look at CrossFit. Uh, looking at the 2007 games, are way, way, way head and shoulders different than uh, than where they are now. Oh, yeah. um, I think that from a nutrition standpoint, uh, I, I spent a lot of time teaching and talking about nutrition and how it was 1991 that the government put out the food guide pyramid, six to 11 servings of bread, cereal, rice, and pasta a day. And you laugh, right? Uh, because we recognize, <laughs> we recognize within our own lifetime how ridiculous that was for, uh, for the majority of the population. Not for everybody. Um, but, but for a sedentary adult who's doing their best, when that's the information they're being told, they're they're up against a wall. I like they're 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 gonna end up. I don't know. I I used to think maybe I'm getting off on a tangent, but when you're young and you're absent of a lot of responsibilities, sitting across the table from people who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s who are looking to you for advice. Um, it's really easy to say, like, I don't understand how you can just let yourself go. What do you mean you haven't been to a gym in 10 years? Um, all, all kinds of stuff. like, And that arrogance wears off as life experience starts to pack itself on. Um, and now I'm in my 30s and in gyms for 60 hours a week, and there's times that I don't exercise three times. Um, and that's sad, right? That, but it, you start to realize that that's, that's a lot of people's reality. Um, and it's simple. It's too simple to say people are lazy, um, that they don't care, that, that that they're in this position that is their fault, right? Um, I think assigning fault is a very naive perspective, um, and it, that also is a very like looking back to the past. It's your fault that you're like this because of your decisions then. Um, but I think, like you were saying earlier, adopting responsibility and saying, regardless of where I'm starting or what's happened today, I can move forward. Um, I can I can do my best with what I've got, and I can start to put the pieces in order. Whether I'm 30 or 40 or 50 or 80, right? um, a lot of people are running really hard in the wrong directions, or one inch in a million directions, or however you want to say it, right? Um, and I think that when you can when you can start to when people stop seeing progress or they, they try something and it fails enough times, then they start to lose a sense of themselves. Um, they start to say, well, what's the point, right? My effort doesn't matter. I've, I've dissociated my, the outcome from my effort and that's dangerous. Um, and that's what I love about CrossFit and, and what I love about nutrition and what I love about like self-development or whatever it is, is it, is you can, you can focus on one thing and get better at one thing and realize that your effort matters. And when you can start to like to, to spark that in somebody and say like, when I do this, it produces this outcome, you put them back in the driver's seat, right? And you can, um, and that's incredible to watch happen because 
when someone goes from, and it, I, I will say playing the victim, but again, that, that has a connotation that I don't really want to imply in this. It's uh, because I can see how you get there. And I luckily had a lot of good people around me who, whether they were trying to or not, showed me that my effort mattered, right? And, uh, and that's really powerful. And that's really all I'm trying to do now is provide similar opportunities to what I had. I love that. And I, I love that concept. I might have to steal it from you. Please. The idea that your effort matters and how you communicate that I think is tremendous. I mean, I'm sure you've had uh, experiences like me where I would be running a session, running a class, and I've had people break down in tears when they couldn't do something. Mm -hmm. And then I would talk to them later and find out it was because dad told me that I would never be able to do something, you know, and then we have that, that cry session, that hug session, and then it's back on the barbell and, you know, let's give it a go mm -hmm. and reminding them, okay, you do have power. You do have agency in this moment. You can choose to let daddy be right, or you can choose to make a new decision. It's up to you. Mm -hmm. How do you address that moment? as a coach, trainer, mentor, teacher. Yeah, it's a lot of hats to wear. It is a lot of hats to wear. But it, it For someone up, who doesn't want to be labeled. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in a way, and again, I think that's through a collection of life experience, you realize that they're all interconnected, whether it's in regards to fitness or not, right? Um, I think you have to... Maybe I can answer it this way almost everybody knows where they want to be or where they wish they were is maybe a better way to say it. Um, right. They have this, this vision, this ideal, this, this, it's not even a goal. It's a dream. Um, but it's a lot harder to recognize where you are. And, uh, the one thing that I've always loved about the barbell, um, and in similar respect to CrossFit, um, is that it, it's measurable, it's repeatable, it's objective. It's, uh, it's, it's, you're collecting data. Right. Um, I can lift this much. And if I go above that number, then I fail. And that's, that's where I am today. And I have a goal of whatever the number is. Um, but as long as I know, as long as I know where my starting point is and where my ending goal is, then I can create a roadmap. But if I never take the time to figure out exactly where I am, then I'm just aiming blindly. Yes. Um, and so I think that when it comes to when it comes to being a leader or mentor or coach or whatever, it's uh, it's helping people accept or acknowledge where they're at currently um, to, to actually like dig in and find that. Um, because I find that that tends to be a lot of times the missing piece is people overestimate their ability sometimes. People underestimate their ability sometimes. And uh, maybe ability is not even the right word, um, but just... Mm. I don't know. Man, I'm not good at that question. See, and even see, and I, I say that as someone who's been in this world for so long, I'm like, I'm not good at this. I just haven't had enough time to figure it out. That's right. You know, um, that's the beauty of talking through things though. Right. Because we, a lot of times say stupid shit that leads us <laughs> down the right path to where our mind wants to bring us to that answer that actually makes sense, you know, but if we don't take the time to put in the reps, whether it's a sentence or, you know, a yeah. snatch, for example, you don't get there. That's perfect. Um, again, when I was younger, I tried to pretend like everything was okay. 
uh, or that like that I that these things that actually existed didn't exist. And rather than talking through them and finding commonalities with people um, and learn again, like understanding where I am currently, where they are currently, um, I think you have to have those difficult conversations. And people, I want to say, people nowadays are too afraid <laughs> to have real conversations. Um, right. I'm one of those people. And we all are on some yeah. level, right? And because I've seen the benefit of getting dis- uncomfortable, like like pushing into that that discomfort zone, um, I'm more willing to go there now than I ever was. And I found that that's helping. It's helping me. It's helping those around me. Um, and it sucks. It's <laughs> like in in the immediate, it sucks. Um, but if I take a step back and my life is so much better than it's ever been. So I'm going to keep doing it. Do it, man, for sure. Yeah, I was, I love that, that concept that uh, we kind of started this conversation with the, you know, connecting your effort with your result, mm-hmm. I believe is how you said it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. And I think that we run into trouble, you know, as students and teachers when we attach our identity to the outcome or the result rather than the effort, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, well, I'm going to do my, you know, like yesterday or the day before we were doing snatches in the gym and I get up to 155 and I'm like, okay, not too bad. Let's go, let's go 165. And for whatever reason, I couldn't find my balance. And so do I accuse myself of being useless, worthless, can't snatch guy, or do I just come back and I say, okay, well, you haven't done snatch in ages. You look like crap because of that. Maybe you should put some reps in before you judge yourself kind of a thing. That, and I think there's a part of that that's, again, acknowledging where you are today. And uh, I'm currently struggling with that right now because I said I went 20 years without an off-season. That's from 10 to 30, and I'm 34. So I had back surgery a couple years ago, and I started running businesses a couple years ago, and now I'm not the same athlete I was. Right, right. Um, And I think that that's been something that's been really humbling recently and I'm still like I'm, I'm struggling with it and even even Monday um, we were talking about the deadlifts right I, I'm I'm trying really hard to be proud of myself for those deadlifts and and yes it's a they're they're big numbers but that's that's 115 pounds less than my three rep max in 2018 mm-hmm. and uh, if I'm not careful if I'm in my default setting as like I'm this athlete who's 20 years who should be better um, then I can get really really down on myself really quickly um, rather than recognizing I did that workout post back surgery and today I'm sitting in a chair right now and my legs not numb that's right and uh, and I feel good yeah and I, I, I walked away from that knowing that it's a that's a line from Ben Bergeron uh, that my best effort was enough yes and uh, and could I have gone heavier maybe Will I? Maybe next time if I'm feeling good. Um, I think I have to take an inventory of who am I today? Yeah. Always. And what's the risk reward on that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, and just to be clear, he's talking about a 425 pound deadlift, I believe. Yeah. If I remember correctly yeah. from your post. So not small numbers, you know. Thank you. Something that most people would just like, you know, slap their grandma in happiness over, right? <laughs> like it's like <laughs> 400 is a solid deadlift. I don't care who you are, you know, but you know, 500 is even more solid. Right. So I, I understand where you're coming from there, but on some level, um, I feel like there's, there's this argument to be made 
and I think you touched on this, is that we have this idea that we are, we are a thing rather than we are constantly becoming a thing. And so right now you're becoming the person who is deadlifting heavy post back surgery or back injury versus becoming the person who never had an issue prior to that and was pulling 500 pounds and was looking to go 550 or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. you know? And so not even the same person is equal to themselves on different days. So this idea that we should be equal to someone else or even ourselves is ridiculous, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And that's a, that's a rule from the Jordan Peterson book. Yes. Um, Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Yes. And that's, I try to keep there again, things that anchor me, um, that line, helps me a lot because I know I'm better than I was yesterday and who I was six months ago. And, you know, um, the collective, I'm in a better position in my life than I was three, five years ago when I was at my strongest. Mm-hmm. I was also in, in, there's some pretty dark, dark pieces to that too. Yeah. Great segue. Thank you okay. for that. <laughs> <laughs> almost planned. Yeah, yeah, almost no. planned. So, so yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, um, obviously, you you know, you said at the top of the hour, you're no open book, so you know, we're mm-hmm. not pushing any buttons that yeah. that you haven't agreed to push. But tell me a little bit about that experience. I mean, obviously, three years of sobriety today. Um, I'm not going to say congratulations, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> three years of sobriety today is Thank not you. a small thing, right? In in my opinion, I, I feel like you know, if you've done something for a long period of time to stop it for an extended period of time is just not easy because everything in you is accustomed to something happening. And now that thing is not happening and everything has to change physically, mentally, spiritually, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. But, um, you talked about, I believe this idea of not wanting to feel some of the things that you felt Mm -hmm. when you were growing up and experiencing some of these childhood traumas and that sort of thing. And so to, to avoid having to feel that or avoid feeling that you did what so many people do. And that is found an outlet or a way to sort of numb yourself so that you didn't have to feel it. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of that I did through exercise first, but then you can't exercise all the time. And as a young adult, you're also trying to find your place in life socially and in relationships. And, you know, so much of that as a young adult is, surrounded by drinking. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, when I was in college, I was a bartender for a while, um, at least two years. And so it's just, it's widely accepted. And trying to become a young adult post-college, um, I just tried to keep that, I tried to hang on to it for too long. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning and I would train clients until about nine or 10. And then I would work out in the middle of the day and I would train clients until seven or eight. And then I would drink until I fell asleep and I would sleep for four hours and I would do it all over again. (laughs) And I cannot believe sometimes when I talk about like different elements of my life, um, the timelines that they, how much they overlap because it seems to me like I was living two, three, four different lives all at once. And when it came to, when it came to fitness and exercise and, and athletics, I was so regimented um, and I could, I, I, I didn't miss a training day and I ate and I meal prepped my food and I ate well and, and consistently. Um, and then I would go and party and I would overdo it. I wouldn't be able to stop. Not that I was actively for a long time. I wasn't even trying to stop, but um, 
you know, the, the first drink became the second and became the 10th. And then I would wake up and I would hear a story and I wasn't there for it. So it didn't really affect me like it probably should have. And there's a lot of collateral damage in that. And I, I, I remember being in my late twenties on a Sunday, throwing up in my bathroom at 4 PM thinking like, I don't want this for my life, man. Like, uh, I, I, I work so hard to, to be regimented and to be this person. And then I have this, like this one big thing that's, that's completely derailing that. Um, and so then it like, then events became the crutch. I have this weightlifting event or this CrossFit event or something that's six weeks out, that's eight weeks out, that's 12 weeks out. I don't think I ever went more than, went from Valentine's Day in 2016 to May 8th, whatever that is. Three months, almost three months is the longest I would say I ever went without drinking. Um, and I had 15, 20 of those stories and the rebound would just get worse and worse and worse. And uh, I mean, it, I'd say that the most notable of that is what I'm talking talking about in 2016 was uh, the 2016 nationals, the Olympic trials. I'd set a goal uh, in 2012 that I wanted to hit a 300 kilo total in weightlifting between snatch and clean and jerk. And at the time, my best total was 280. And so it seemed like it'd be a, a relatively easy task. Um, and four years later, I hadn't hit it yet. And 2016 is the year I was turning 30. And I said, like, if not now, then I probably won't ever do it. And so I put everything on the back burner and I, I tried to dial in as hard as I could. And, uh, and it was great. Again, like uh, the effort, right? I, I knew that if I put the effort in that I could have that outcome. And... And I succeeded. I took I took fourth place. I totaled three hundred four. Um, I snatched three hundred pounds. I clean and jerked three at the time three seventy ish. That's crazy. Um, and then I drank so much and did so much cocaine that night that uh, I had to watch the Sunday sessions from the bathroom at our Airbnb on the floor from my iPad, and I missed the entire day. Wow. Um, and almost missed like I, I almost wasn't okay on Monday to drive back home. And uh, not many people know that story, right? Um, but even at the, even then, I didn't have a drinking problem, I had a drug problem. And so that was the last day I ever touched that. And uh, it took another couple of years for me to, well, until three years ago today. Yeah. To so, so was that uh, experience, um, you know, basically just punishing yourself after this fantastic performance like was that a celebration in your mind or you know what, what was going through your head when you were in that in that place do you remember um oh yeah very well um too well i i was i was celebrating i like i i, I was doing what i knew um i was doing the best i knew how with what i like had been given right um and it, it was i won't say it wasn't fun um but the aftermath is not worth the fun. Um, that was the first time I saw my mom in five years. There's a whole nother story there. But um, like I said earlier, we have a good relationship now. But it was strained for quite some time. Um, and so that was, that was disappointing. We were supposed to go to breakfast that Sunday morning, and I couldn't. Um, I met some friends when I had been in Salt Lake City a couple of years prior and I called them up and we like we, we celebrated. I had a great, like, I accomplished a four-year goal. 
right? And then, but it, it's amazing how empty you feel after something like that um, when you realize the goal shouldn't be the goal, right? The, the goal is the work, the process, the, like, you know, we say it all the time. And it, again, it's another one of those things that becomes almost meaningless is like fall in love with the process, right? Um, but there's so much truth in that, that if you can actually embrace like the day to day, then the, the goal becomes not so important anymore. Or like the, the goal, it's a target. It's a, it's definitely something that I shouldn't say it's not important, but it's not, it's not the end all be all. Right. And it just becomes another stepping stone on a way to like building a meaningful life. Yeah, for sure. I, I can, I can relate to that sort of emptiness feeling in that, you know, anything I set my sights on that I hit and over some period of time, it's you hit the thing or I'll own it. I hit the thing. And then I realize I did all of this for that moment. And now that moment is gone. And yeah. so really, what did I do all that for? Just to say I could, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, is anyone even going to remember this? Probably not. Am I going to remember it? Yeah, sure. But you know, I, I sacrificed X, Y, and Z to get to this thing. Mm -hmm. And now it came and it went. Now what? It's now like there's what? another void created. Absolutely. Um, and I tried to, to fill it with more strength-based things. And that's how I ended up injuring myself because it was four months later that I hurt myself to the point where I needed to take real time off for the first time in my life. Um, and then another another year and a half or so of fumbling until I decided to buy my first gym mm -hmm. and put all my effort into that. And that's, I think, more than anything pre pre previous to that, that's become what I'm learning to fall in love with every day mm -hmm. is uh, just, I, I, I refer to it as laying bricks. <laughs> right? uh, I'm, I'm trying to build something big and I wake up every day and I just do what I can and then I'm, I, I try as best as I can to be satisfied with the effort. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that laying bricks analogy. There's a, there's a great story I'll have to share with you, uh, maybe if we have time, about that. Uh, it's a parable, actually. But um, I'm always curious when I talk to someone and they say, oh, I've been sober now for X, Y, Z time period. And prior to that, I was this, this, and this, right? And I feel like never having experienced a form of like alcohol or drug addiction, I don't really know what that looks like. I know what Hollywood portrays it like on television, you know? Mm -hmm. I know stories of friends of friends, of family members who have, um, you know, maybe lost relationships or lost jobs or what have you because they couldn't pull it together long enough. But it sounds like you were pretty high functioning during this time period. Like you're, you know, you're working... You know, you're training people. Um, so at what point, if you're still functioning, you know, and earning money and providing for yourself, do you wake up and you say, you know what, I'm going to let this go. I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've seen what this has to offer and it's not where I want to end up. I mean, is there an epiphany or is it a process or, you know, what was it in your experience? It was beating, beaten over the head, wave after wave after wave. Um, I know the moment. Um, because it was three years ago today and, but I'll, I'll get to it in a second, I guess. Um, January 11th, 2011, I got a DUI and that was probably the fifth time, fifth or sixth time I had been pulled over 
for driving drunk. And all the times previous to that, I either passed a field sobriety test or had an officer tell me to call a friend or someone to come get me or actually drive me home. Um, all the stories that like you, you don't hear that stuff happen very often, right. but I had become so bold because I had gotten lucky so many times that, uh, and even, even when I got a DUI, I got pulled over for speeding. I didn't get pulled over for driving recklessly. Um, and so I, and I, I $10,000 later and a lot of other people's lives who had to manage my irresponsibility, um, I didn't learn anything from it because I continued to, to do it. Um, I continued to ruin relationship after relationship because, and, and friendships, I'm not even just talking about romantic relationships, um, because I didn't have a control over this thing. I, I lost a place to live. I lived out of my car um, for a while, but I was, I, I lived behind the lifetime. I slept in my car and then I would go in because it was 24 hours. I could go shower anytime I wanted to and I could eat from the cafe and, and flirt with the cafe girls and eat chicken breasts and, and apples and peanut butter for $2. Um, and I could make enough money to pay off the debt that I was creating, um, and, and legal fees and all kinds of stuff. And it, it even, all of that stuff, I never really, I wasn't ready to admit that there was a problem. It was, I'm managing this thing and I'm, I'm, I'm putting so much fucking effort into managing this thing that like, look how good I am at it. And it's, it's incredible to think of the stories you'll tell yourself. Um, then I moved to Arizona and it's another real, real tough state when it comes to drinking and driving. And I got, I, uh, in a drunken whatever, I got arrested once for criminal trespassing after being kicked out of a bar and climbing onto the second floor balcony and, and finding my way back in a few times. Um, spent the night in jail and uh, was supposed to go to, man, I'll just tell this whole story. It's, I mean, if you got the time. Yeah, let's hear it, brother. <laughs> um, I was hoping you'd say that, actually. Yeah, so I, I'm really good with dates. So this was November 30th. You are good with dates, yeah. I gotta say. November 30th, 2013. Were you because, just memorizing the police reports? Um, well, no, so this is, <laughs> this is interesting. So it was uh, the Blackhawks were playing the Coyotes, and, uh, and, and so we went to the Blackhawks game, and I thought it was the funniest thing on earth to run around wasted and, and yell at the Coyotes fans and ask them if they knew who the Blackhawks were playing tonight um, because there were so, <laughs> there's so many people from Chicago here. Um, so that also t happened to be the same night that Arizona ASU football game was here at, in ASU, and so we went to Mill, uh, downtown or yeah down, uh, down on campus afterwards and we went to moonshine and at midnight it became December and my credit card expired uh, November of 2013 and so when I went to close my tab out my card was declined and they were like you got to go and my friends weren't around and my phone was dead and I'm in my Blackhawks jersey and I'm, I've been drinking since noon and I was like no like I, I tried to plead right and they kicked I, they kicked me out and so then I went to go find my friends and I jumped the wall and I went back inside and they found me and they kicked me out again. And so then I climbed on the second story balcony and uh, I got caught again, uh, this time forcefully. And uh, I spent the night in jail. And the next morning, and if you go to jail in Tempe, um, they chain you up and they take you to court. And I'm in my flip-flops and my Blackhawks jersey, like Django, walking into court. And uh, 
I had no, Arizona wasn't aware of my DUI. And so according to them, I had no prior anything. And they let me go on with, not probation, but I was supposed to do this class. Um, and because I didn't have a permanent place to live, the address I gave them was no longer valid by the time they sent me the, um, the paperwork for it. And so I never went to that class. So they, there was a warrant out for my arrest for a couple of years. Well, I got pulled over again for drinking and driving, or I got pulled over again drunk um, for speeding. <laughs> and I spent 45 minutes passing field sobriety tests and convincing this officer that I was fine. And uh, he, he said to me, I cannot believe I'm about to say this, but you're free to go. Um, let me process your card or whatever. And he came back and he laughing. Um, did you know there's a warrant out for your arrest? Not for drinking again. Um, so I, I went, I went back to jail. I spent another night in jail and I did the whole thing over again. And I went to court the next morning and they threw it out because they said I had done my, I had served my time. So it was again, another opportunity of like something I should have been punished for significantly that I just walked away from unscathed. And, uh, you know, I'm skipping a lot of stories and details to those stories even um, because of for time, but it's all the same. It's all over and over and over again. Um, when I bought Infinite Strength, we w I was trying to foster a community. And one of the ways that we did that was Friday Night Lights events. Um, so we, once a month, the, the last Friday of the month, we would get everyone together. And instead of, of running classes on Friday night, we would do this competition style in-house thing. And then we would grill out and drink and you know, BYOB and it was good for a little while and August 31st um, was a Friday night and we did Friday night lights and I stayed at the gym until two in the morning and and drank a box of wine and convinced someone that I was okay to drive home and then I woke up the next morning and from my bed I called her and I said hey do you mind coming to pick me up and grab my car before we go to the gym this morning. And she's like, what do you mean? You like, you told me you were okay. You drove home yesterday. And I looked out my window and my car was half in my front yard. And uh, the gym was struggling. I was struggling. There's a lot of other things like around that time that were just not falling into place. And it was that moment that I, re like, I realized I'm going to kill somebody. Um, I'm going to lose everything I have that I've worked so hard for and I'm going to disappoint this community that I've promised everything to. And uh, that was the thing that was more important than my drinking. And it was, it was enough finally to say like, I'm fucking done, man. And uh, that was three years ago today. Wow, that's powerful, brother. So you actually arrived at that decision kind of on your own, really. You know, yeah, you there's, there's so many other times I should have made it, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think about that now, and it wasn't... One of the things I learned or heard in early sobriety was uh, your rock bottom is wherever you stop digging. <laughs> and that, that. Yeah, and, and in not comparing myself to somebody else and their story, and ooh, it wasn't that bad. At least I wasn't that, whatever. Like, it's not about that, right? It's It's about... Who am I trying to become? What am I trying to build? And what's in front of me that's keeping me from getting there? 
Um, one of the things I used to do or talk about in, when it came to selling personal training was, uh, well, what do you spend money on right now that's not aligning with your the goal of whatever you said you want to do? And usually it's either like smoking, eating out, something obvious that we try to cut out. Um, and I had to have that conversation with myself, right? That this is this is a major, major, major hindrance to everything I'm trying to build. So, so here I am, man. That's awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. That's, uh, you know, I mean, I think people like myself who, you know, who haven't been there, you know, we, we don't understand exactly what's involved in that process. And I think even, you know, people who want to help people who are in that place don't necessarily understand because it's always, it, it comes across almost as like, I want to push you in this direction because I know what's good for you. But unless that person is willing to be helped or wants to be helped, it's not going to actually have an impact. Right. Mm-hmm. At least that's what it seems like. Yeah. You can't, you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. Right. Right. And even through that entire journey, there were plenty of people who tried to help me, who tried to show me the way, who tried to lead by example or push me in the right direction or like, and, and I didn't want to be helped. Mm-hmm. I needed to figure it out on my own. And I struggle now even as someone, as a coach, mentor, teacher, all those, those hats, finding that balance of, you know, you don't want people to have to struggle, but at the same time, I don't think you can get there without some kind of struggle. Mm-hmm. And so I'm spending most of my time trying to find that balance and then just like, like the, the ones who stand out to me along the way, just say, whenever you're ready, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I think it's, uh, it's hard to stand by and watch someone that you care about suffer. You know, I mean, I've seen people in my life personally struggle with different things and I'm the type of person that wants to step in and solve all their problems. And I I heard one of my mentors uh, say one time that one of the worst things you can do is take someone's pain away. And that hit home. And I realized that, you know, a lot of the people that I want to help, they're not ready for that. They don't want to be helped. And if I, steal their pain, like what you were talking about, like uh, you had all those opportunities to face consequences that you never had to face until you, you know, looked out your window and saw your car like half-ass parked, you know, and then you realized what had happened. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you didn't, ha- you never had to, to face the, that, that painful reality that, hey, this is a consequence that I have to own and something that I created myself, right? Mm-hmm. So now I have to take a look at myself and see, you know, how am I going to do things differently if I want to become the person I say I want to be? pretty wild yeah I don't talk about it that often but I've realized how important it is to acknowledge who you are who you've been mm-hmm. and uh, and that having these kinds of conversations I think helps people understand me it helps me understand other people and it, it gets down to the root of why we're doing any of this That's and it's uh it's it's helping us all find a little bit of meaning and and trying to make the world around me just a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. You know, it's I have a soft spot in my heart for anyone who wants to do anything uh, in the world outside themselves, because no matter what the thing is, whether it's, you know, raising a, a family or building a small business or even a larger business, the amount of energy and focus that's required in doing that is just off the charts. Amazing. And the number of people you have to sort of overcome 
I guess is, is one way of, of mm-hmm. looking at it, uh, you know, because there's always going to be the naysayers, but then also the, the, the number of people that you have to work on and work on and work on until they're in alignment with your vision and help you move forward is, is tremendous as well. And so as you've gone into your entrepreneurial journey, I'm curious, you know, what are some of the things that you've taken on as lessons that you've learned um, in creating the business that you're creating? Because now, you know, like you said, you, you own three gyms. I think we mentioned that earlier, mm-hmm. um, bought the last two recently. And, you know, owning a gym is a huge responsibility. You know, and it really is. It's a, it's a small business in and of itself. It's you're dealing with people, you're dealing with their problems, you're dealing with your, you know, your little schisms of trainers and clicks of people and you know it's a lot to take in and then of course you want people to advance toward their goals so mm-hmm. you know what are some of the things that you're learning as a young businessman young entrepreneur in this s- sphere that we are that we're operating in oof i think i maybe have to start by saying i don't know what i'm doing um and then i actually didn't really have any aspirations of being a business owner or like, or like the, the label entrepreneur i struggle with still um, I'm really just a shitty employee. Um, <laughs> you're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what I mean by that is I like, I, I look at the task that needs to be done and I, I look at where we are. It's, it's the same process as, as training. Right. And I think like, what's the most effect, efficient way to get from point A to point B. And as an employee, that roadmap is laid out for you. And I'm the type of person who looks at it and pokes holes and say, well, why, why do we need to do that? Why do I need to file this report? Why do I need to make that phone call? Can't this be done a different way? Yes. And um, it's not well received. No, generally not. <laughs> yeah. And the, the entrepreneurial journey, I guess, has really been built out of necessity in a way. Um, I'm, I'm all in on fitness. I don't really have, I never had a plan B. And after spending the first 10 years or so working for other people and realizing the limitations of that, I decided if, unless I'm going to come up with something new and start over, then this needs to be something that I do on my own. Um, and the, the journey to the first gym, uh, infinite strength was kind of all over the place. It was actually the third gym I tried to purchase the first one in Kauai. Uh, the second one was spark which uh, we'll get there. But Infinite was the first one that, you know, I had been there for a couple of years and I had started a weightlifting club and I had grown to become part of this community that was threatened in a sense of uh, being shut down. And I didn't want, I didn't want to lose that. Um, it, I, I felt like maybe, maybe it was selfish and I'm not even that afraid to admit that now, um, that I didn't want to lose the, the, the thing that kept me at least at that time, um, like I wasn't, I wasn't sober then, but I was at least like in it. Right. And it was keeping me from going completely off the rails. And, uh, I recognized the opportunity that it had provided me to sort of like shape my own path. And I wanted to give that to other people. Um, so that's what I did and worked really, really, really hard at it. And, uh, we grew to the point where things were comfortable and then COVID hit and we were set with this decision right um what the hell do you do and i i had said early on or right away um you know we kind of watched it happen around the country gyms were closing things were happening and uh these mandates were going into effect and i said our job is to provide opportunity and that's how i look at the gyms really um 
and it helps me detach a little bit about from the, well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but I'm going to do that by building a space outside because the governor said that outdoor recreation was essential. I'm going to give our equipment away to the members who are going to continue to support us. We're going to go online um, and teach online classes because I have some experience doing that. And I think, I didn't know if any of it would work, and but I didn't really have a, a plan B. And so we just went all in on, on that. And, and it was enough to keep things moving. Um, we got some good news. We were able to go open back inside for about six weeks or so. And then the second round of shutdowns happened. And that's when I feel like a lot of gyms who were struggling recognized that, uh, I guess this is going to go in, in that direction, um, recognized that this just wasn't what they wanted, that they thought it was going to be, uh, gym ownership. You know, in, 20, in the early days of CrossFit, 2013, 14, when it was experiencing this huge boom and we peaked around like 15, 16,000 gyms, real estate was inexpensive. And the equipment was inexpensive to start a CrossFit gym. And there was no competition other than the big box facilities. And so you could have a full-time job and you could invest in this thing and you could run a pretty simple operation as a side project. Well, COVID turned that around and the landscape of fitness also. Um, you know, our competition is not anymore with each other necessarily, other CrossFit gyms. It's with F45 and Orange Theory Fitness and Lifetime Alpha and all these Barry's Boot Camp, all these million dollar plus facilities who have huge marketing budgets and and big professional looking, they're whales, right? Yeah. Um, and this passion project that's now, that's always been a break even business, but is now costing me money is, I, I, I don't even look at it as a failure. It's just an, it's, it's an understanding that the landscape has changed right. and that something, something needs to change. Yes. Um, and so that first happened with Hammer uh, in Peoria. And I was friends with that com the people in that community and the owners. And I reached out and I just said, hey, what can I do? Like, we're, we're doing okay. Um, is there anything I can do to help? And you hear that story and you recognize that the only way that that gym is going to stay alive is if somebody else takes it over. Mm -hmm. And something I really like to do um, when it comes to making decisions is just entertain the idea of what this would look like if it were possible um, and, and at least go through that process before making a decision of whether or not it's worthwhile. And we made it happen to where I was able to, to take over and keep Hammer alive. And then four days after the ink dried, <laughs> I, I did it again um, <laughs> with, with Spark, which is kind of strange how it comes full circle, right? That I helped that gym get started in 2014 and then now I've come to own it. Um, first with a partner that didn't go over so well. Um, that's for another podcast, but uh, now it's all me. And they've Hammer and Spark have been open indoors a year today. September 1st. So uh, something's going right. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, the guys, I, I know the guys from both of those spots uh, a little bit. Mm -hmm. I know Eric um, probably better than the Spark guys. But uh, yeah, um, it was good to see, you know, that someone came in and, and sort of rescued that community. Because I know when I spoke to Eric, I actually had him on the podcast a while back. And we talked about a little bit about the business aspect of it. And he's like, yeah, we're just kind of breaking even, you know. And mm -hmm. I think most people who go into, you know, the gym ownership piece have been brainwashed into thinking, 
you know, the old school, if you build it, they will come kind of a thing. They forget, oh, it's not the same landscape like you were talking about. And it is going to require a tremendous amount of time, energy and effort to actually build and develop a community and a culture and something that people can latch on to. And then the reality sets in, oh, my God, you know, I had a bad month or COVID. I had a bad three or four months or six months. And now all of a sudden I'm coming out of pocket to pay rent because my landlord still wants to get paid. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you find out really quick who's committed to that thing. Right. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say it again and again. I don't think that there's no fault in recognizing that this is no longer worthwhile. Yeah. No, right. And, and I think that both gym owners did a really, if you want to call it responsible thing in making sure that their communities stayed alive. Um, yeah. And so I just, I happen to be in a position to, take on more responsibility. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, no matter what you're doing, you know, it's interesting that, that you framed it that way because so many people I feel like fall into a way of being and maybe that way of being isn't getting them where they want to go, but because there's social pressure or there's anxiety or there's commitments or obligations or whatever the thing is, they just choose to stay. And if that is not what your calling is or the thing that you're doing is an impediment to where you really want to be, then the responsible thing to do as an individual is to either sell it, get rid of it, turn it over, be honest with yourself and the people that you're working with that, Hey, we're going to go in a different direction so that everyone can get the best of themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Rather than waking up 10 years, 15 years down the road and say, Oh my God, what did I do with that big chunk of, of my precious life force that I no longer have? Sure. And I think that uh, I've seen this a lot in small businesses. People hold on too long. I know I've held on too long to small businesses in the past. You know, the gym isn't my first, rodeo Mm -hmm. and so that's a lesson that i've sort of reluctantly learned over the years (laughs) to be really clear about what you want to create yeah and i do well when my back's against the wall and i've I've recognized that like a lot of the the drive that i have is anxiety um and i used to look at that as a negative where like you know again you pretend you try to pretend like it's not that that's not the thing Right, that that's not the case. And then you live this life that doesn't just never seems or feels right. And I think embracing that and like acknowledging it and embracing it has been wonderful for me. Um, and in a way actually like alleviates almost all of it is, uh, because if I can, if I can voluntarily put myself in a position where I'm uncomfortable, that's athletics, right? Um, then I know that I'm in control. Um, and I know that, that the difficulty is going to come whether I'm instigating it or not. And so being a bit of a control freak, right? I'd rather be the person in the driver's seat. Definitely. Um, so I, for fear of becoming complacent, continue to make my life more difficult. Absolutely. I mean, that's <laughs> Challenging, we'll call yeah, it. For yeah. sure. I mean, there's a lot being written about this right now and how important it is to, you know, maintain some semblance of discomfort, mm-hmm. whether it's hunger or doing hard things, whatever those hard things are, you know, just putting yourself in a spot where you actually have to learn a little bit. Hey, you know, what, how am I showing up right now? Mm-hmm. You know, is this discomfort going to cause me to quit? Whatever the thing is. Right. And, um, you know, as I was, I was listening to you talk, um, one of the things that you said about anxiety, I think is important. And I want people to pick up on this because, you said that you embraced it, that that's part of who you are and that's part of what motivates you to do well, right? And so there's a phrase that I use uh, when I'm coaching people um, in the gym and also in life. It's like, hey, we have to find what helps you gain leverage over yourself. And right, so the anxiety piece, you know, all right, if, I, if I'm in this place where I have a little bit of fear, 
you know, and I'm uncertain of the outcome, I'm going to do my best work. So you know what? That's a leverage point for me. For me, it's making a public commitment. I don't, I, I have this program where I don't want to look bad in other people's eyes. So mm-hmm. before something is done, I'll say it's going to happen this way and that way. And on this date, and I don't have any of it done, but then now I'm committed to making it happen. Sure. And so that's one way I gain leverage over myself. And so I think a lot of you guys out there listening who want to do something, you know, you really have to invest in learning. Like the wise man says, know thyself, right? You have to invest in learning what your leverage points are because it's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. I agree. I don't really have much of a response. <laughs> than, yeah, I agree completely. Well, that's cool because I have a question for you, you know, on the CrossFit front specifically. Um, you and I talked about this a little bit on the phone the other day, but you know, obviously you mentioned the CrossFit landscape has changed. It certainly has, you know, it's not, you can't just throw up a sign and, and call it good anymore. Uh, there's a lot more into it. So where do you see the world of CrossFit or the brand of CrossFit or all of these little gyms, little mom and pop gyms, where do you see the industry going and taking CrossFit? <sighs> I wish I knew, man, it <laughs> helped me make a lot of decisions. Right. Um, I don't know about the industry as a whole, um, but I know that what I've seen in Arizona is that so many people who live here are not from here and they're coming into this city as young adults and they're trying to find something that they belong to. <clears throat> and in CrossFit, we love, we overuse the word community. I mean, we just, like, we live and die by it. Um, but there is but there is real power in that if, if used correctly. And what I've seen a lot in the last 10 years or so is that it, it seems like we've all been so focused on trying to hang on to our own little piece of pie that we lose sight of the fact that this is supposed to be a bigger, but we're part of a bigger thing. Yes. And uh, that if we could grow the pie for everybody, that we could all survive and, and, and thrive and be happy. And when we recognize that our, we're not up against other CrossFit gyms so much, like I need, I need 150 to 250 people who believe in what I'm saying, who are willing to support my business in order to keep it afloat. Right? And uh, if I can't find that in the fifth largest city in the country, then I'm doing something wrong. And I think that trying to do events where we can bring people together, and, um, and, and not just events, but now what I'm trying to do is just create Hammer CrossFit, this brand in a sense of you know, three locations with one unifying name, um, and one purpose that allow people to feel like they're part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that I think that it will professionalize itself over the next few years. Um, I think that, the, and I'm, I'm from the era of the dirty warehouse gym, right? Where it's just dudes cranking Metallica, sweating and bleeding on barbells. And, and I, I love that and I miss it, but it will never happen again that way. And you like, I think that, too many of us have held on to that idea for too long. Like you were saying, like with small businesses and not being willing to let go of, of that. Um, I've also had the unique experience of having worked for lifetime fitness and being part of a billion dollar company that there is a professional way to do things. And I think that trying to find the blend of caring about people, like the individual and not trying to systematize that so much, but like truly making people feel like they're a part of something while also keeping a clean facility that operates well and is not an obstacle in and of itself, um, I think there's a way to do it. And I'm, I'm, 
I'm just trying to figure it out. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. How do you think um, new ownership is doing? Like, what's your impression of Eric so far and the new leadership team? Um, I've loved a lot of things that they've done. I Most recently, I heard that they're coming out with a playbook of, uh, like, not standard operating procedures, like, uh, but best practices of, of like, this. these are things that have worked for other gyms, and maybe you should implement them too. Again, it's another, it's bringing clarity around, like, this is what people who are doing well are doing, and uh, I've always lived by the fact that, like, you should listen to those people. Listen to the ones who came before you. Stand on the shoulders of giants, however you want to look at it. Like, there's there's definitely value in, in not trying to recreate the wheel. Yes. Um, I think that having... I, I'm not one of the people who abandoned Greg Glassman. Um, I think that, again, like like we've been talking about this whole time, that there's, there's a human there, yes. right? Um, and... Is he politically correct? Absolutely not. But he would never claim to be. And I think like that authenticity rubs some people the wrong way. Um, you know, he has said the landscape has changed. I have not. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when he reluctantly gave up the, the business, I think it was the best thing that could have happened. Um, you know, he he started something that, and I, I sometimes wonder too. I think that I'll probably have a similar experience. Um, I'm I tend to be abrasive. I tend to rub people the wrong way sometimes. I tend to be stubborn and harsh in my delivery. And I'm probably not the guy that's going to, that if this continues long-term, I'm probably not the guy to to grow it into whatever it could become. Um, there's a point where I will get in my own way. And there's, there's times every day that I do. Um, and I think that Greg realized that he had to get out of his own way in order for CrossFit to succeed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm willing, I, I'm, I say it now, it's easy to say now, when that day comes, I hope that I'm still in the same mindset that I can step aside and realize that it's not and never has been about me. That's powerful. That's really powerful. I think that will be one of those things that if you're able to successfully do that, Realize you're in your own way and either pivot or realize you're in your own way and make a change that betters the organization that you created. I think that's a superpower. I really do. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, who is the gentleman who owns Bridgewater? Uh, Ray Dalio. He okay. talks about this oh, yeah. in his book, Principles, where he... I bought that book. Did you? I haven't read it yet. Yeah. It's, okay. Uh, it's hard. It's a little bit difficult to get through, but... It is worth the investment because he talks about this very thing because he did that, right? He built the biggest private equity firm in the world and then walked away from it, right? And so what he, you know, the question was, what do I have to have in place to make the proper decision to do that? And, you know, it wasn't an easy thing for him to do, but their culture is one. And I think one of the things that uh, resonates with me about you is the fact that you are honest, that you do have a viewpoint, that you're not afraid to say how you feel. Um, and I feel like that's certainly lacking, but when it comes to running a business, you know, there's that balance between, all right, well, in what way can I influence this person? Like I have to deliver this in a manner that's going to get the most out of that person, Mm -hmm. but at the same time they have to hear the truth. And so what is that balance? And I think in leadership, we all struggle with that. And in Bridgewater, one of the things that they did was they created a system whereby, one person would be authoritative on a topic. And the way that you would know if they were authoritative was when they delivered the information, everybody in the room gave them a vote as to what they thought was credible versus not. And they call it the dot system. So they have these little 
um, pads where you vote on where someone is in their level of credibility. And based on that, they take the best ideas from everyone's input. And so the, inf and, and the other thing too, is they have a radical honesty policy. So on day one, it's, I'm questioning your decisions. Like every day you're being questioned. Whereas we have this culture here in most companies, businesses, especially large businesses where you don't do that. Mm -hmm. It's everything's a soft sale. Everything's, you know, well, I have a little bit of a criticism, but you're doing this really well. And here's a little bit more criticism. It's the, the quote unquote compliment sandwich, sandwich right? Yeah. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so I, I've said this for years, right? Um, like uh, the middle of a ham sandwich is ham. The middle of the compliment sandwich is shit. It's a shit, it's a shit sandwich. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're going to like this book, man. Okay. You're totally going to like yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and I, I struggle to find that balance because I, I think because I, I speak, I speak to myself so harshly yes. that sometimes I, I, I think that other people will be motivated the same way I am. And I've recognized that that's not the case. I haven't quite learned the alternative yet, but, uh, but again, putting myself in a position where there's no choice but to learn that. Yes. I'm quick. I think I'm learning it quicker than I would have otherwise. Yeah. I think we, we talk a lot in uh, business circles about holding people accountable mm -hmm. or in, even in programming, you mm -hmm. know, you're, you're on this program or that nutrition uh, plan or well, we need someone to hold me accountable. Okay, great. But the flip side of that is we also have to hold people capable. All right. So if I'm giving you responsibility, then I have to hold you to some standard of capability whereby we can have an intelligent discussion about your actual freaking results. Right. I love that. You know, I mean, yeah. And, and, and if I'm soft selling everything I have to say to dance around your feelings, then I'm basically telling you you're not capable of hearing the truth. And so anytime I bring someone to the gym, I have that conversation about honesty and not everyone appreciates it and not everyone stays and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, but there are a few people who, you know, you can have that discussion with and it's so efficient, right? It's like, this is going to sting. I'm going to tell you how I'm feeling. It's going to sting. Right. But no, I love you anyway. Sure. Right. This, this, and this has to change kind of a thing. Oh, ouch. Okay. Let me brush that off. And uh, like, I don't know if this is just my attempt to bring this full circle, but like that's, that's the single parent mentality in me. Uh, of like, like learning to be, to play both roles. Right. And, and I think that sometimes that comes out and like, it's too, I, I come off too harsh and then I have to backpedal or, or, or I don't even know if it's backpedaling because I don't, I don't really think it's a mistake. Um, I think that sometimes that like that verbal or whatever, like you, you have to have that wake up call and then also realize that the person who's saying it is coming from a place of caring and that they, whether they executed perfectly or not, um, they have good intentions. Yes. I think we forget many times, and actually this is in the book. Now it's all coming back. <laughs> the book is coming back. Uh, we forget that the person giving feedback is also in a vulnerable spot. Right. It's, it's sure. not easy to give someone honest feedback. And so we have a tendency to think that, oh, well, James said X, Y, Z to Jason. And man, we should we should really feel bad for Jason. But well, what about the, you know, the courage that James had to develop in the position of vulnerability that he put himself in to say that to Jason in the first place? They both are in a vulnerable position. Right. They're, they're I don't think that second voice gets heard very loud. No. That's or, or yeah. And. Sometimes I feel like it's my job, my, my responsibility to be that voice to people. And I also have to recognize that, like we were saying before, not everybody's asking for to be helped, to be helped. Right. And, uh, I think that uh, that's another thing that comes with life experience is knowing when, when I need to just keep my mouth shut. Yes. 
not every battle is worth fighting. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Awesome. That's, that's probably the best advice I can give as, <laughs> as, as an entrepreneur, right? Is yes. you, um, you walk in as a customer and you go, well, if I were in charge, I would do 10 different X, Y, Z, right? A hundred different things. Um, and then you realize when you are the person in charge that you need to triage those things and that you need to let a lot of stuff go. That's right. And uh, that's taken me a long time to, I'm still learning that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It, it's like helping someone with an air squat, right? If they're doing 10 things wrong, pick the one thing that's going to hurt them and fix that first. Yes. If it's not pretty, we can deal with that later, but I'm going to, I'm going to focus on what matters or try to at least. Yes, absolutely. That, yeah. That's a perfect way of putting it. So uh, one of the questions I always enjoy asking people is, what does success look like for you today? You know, I've always had a hard time answering that. Um, I can remember, the first time I was ever asked that, that I can remember, was uh, a military recruiter when I was in high school. They were trying to, you know, I, I got been there. I got duped into to, to sitting in on a meeting uh, with a pamphlet. And here, you have you ever take the test? Uh, you get that far down the process? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, but they asked, like, what's, what success looked like for me? And I had a really difficult time with it because it's never been, I've never been very fin financially motivated. Um, I'm not very materialistic. And I, like, I don't even like that word because, again, there's an implication there. Um, I just don't care about stuff, like, right. like physical, physical things. Um, I think for me, success is, is having meaning, having something to like I was saying, something bigger than, than myself to focus on. Um, and <sighs> do you ever listen to Alan Watts? I do. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a point where he talks about like the only real decision that you have to make is whether or not to commit suicide. And, uh, <laughs> and it's such a dark it, on the surface. It's such a dark thing to think about. Right? Um, right. It's like, that's the only decision that you have. Um, but he elaborates on it where he says, if you're going to choose to continue, then how could you choose anything other than the best for yourself, right? And, and to give everything you have on a daily basis towards that thing, um, to improve your world or the world of those around you. And, uh, or like Vince Lombardi, like anything less than your best is a sacrifice. You know, like there's, there's so many elements of that um, that I think about that I've been there and I'm still here and as long as I'm still here, I'm going to do my best. Yes. And that's, I think success to me is knowing that my best effort is enough. Mm, I love that. I love that. Yeah, the Alan Watts thing is, is huge, right? It makes you think. I say, Scary. Yeah. But I say, I say something similar when people get bent out of shape at one another because it's like, okay, well, are you going to stay mad forever? No? Okay, well, then let's just skip all this other stuff and get back to the happy part, right? Yeah, that's I mean, exactly it's basically the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's, that's beautifully said. So before I ask my last question, if you would, please share with anyone listening how they can get in touch with you for training, uh, anything you got going on, and um, how they can connect with you if they'd like. Um, there are way too many ways to get a hold of me <laughs> these days. Um, you were going to say that. Yeah, well, I have, I think, seven Gmail accounts. Jeez. Um, and as many phone numbers, if not more, um, Instagram accounts. Uh, I mean, anything relating to Hammer CrossFit is going to somehow get back to me. Um, Jim's Gym 1030 is my own personal journey um, that I try to be as honest as I can through social media. 
on. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I will always give effort to someone who's willing to give it back. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, like, uh, yeah. So please, step, step, please. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it. So I don't know if that's a good, a good response to that, but if, if you can't find me, you're no, not trying there's no hard labels enough. and there's too many ways to reach you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so complicated, man. Yeah, well, but it's all, it's simple. Like yeah. my name's James Ellis. Just put some effort in. You'll find me. I like it. I, I like <laughs> it. Let's hold people capable, right? Hold pe- yeah. Yeah. You, you guys can figure it out. All right. I joke sometimes and I say like, it's not what I want. It's just the right way to do things. <laughs> um. <laughs> sure. That goes over that's really be- well. It's become a joke around the gym, but, but, but honestly, like you said, holding people capable, I think that's wonderful. That's a, I'm probably going to steal that from you. Steal away. Because uh, from someone I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, if I'm ever harsh, it's usually because I'm recognizing that someone is not living up to like that. I'll say living up to their potential, but there again, I don't like the implication there. It's just that like, I, I know you're better than that. When you give up on yourself or when you ask a question that you know the answer to, or when you point fingers at other people because of something that you didn't do, um, it, it's, I don't know where exactly where I'm going with that, but uh, you know, like I, it's not. I don't ever try to belittle someone. Um, I, I try to, I try to get them to recognize that they're capable of far more than, than they think. Which is the job of a teacher, coach, mentor, trainer. Right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's literally your sole responsibility. Yeah. And then, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to someone is either coachable or not, on some level. Mm-hmm. You know? Some people don't want to expand into anything other than what they are, and that's okay. I'm not judging you, but let's not pretend, you know, by the same token that you want to be something you're, you're not, right? Yeah. So don't waste my time, kind of a thing. Do you wish for it, or do you want to work for it? Exactly. Yeah. 100%. So my last question is almost always the same. I used to say always, but I, I've broken, <laughs> broken my own pattern. So, uh, And that is, what does wellness mean to you? Wow. I don't know why that's so hard being that I live my entire life trying to, to find it. Probably because you live your entire life trying to find yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So the word balance comes to mind, but not in seeking it. I think it finds you when you're on the right path. I think that it's easy to label yourself as a workaholic or as a deadbeat, or as a, you know, whatever, however we want to label ourselves, or, or someone who is successful, or, um, but I, I think that trying to, I, I try really hard to have a vision, but not necessarily a concrete plan, because that plan changes so dramatically on a daily basis, and there's so many things that I feel like that you can't plan for, that you need to just do everything you can to be prepared, mm-hmm. right? And um, bad things are going to happen. Good things are going to happen. Being able to take it in stride, both of those things, and not get too inflated when things are going well or too down on yourself when things are going poorly, um, relatively poorly, right? Um, I think that I think that when you're on the right path, when you're on a wellness path, that balance finds you. And if you're paying attention, which is my message all the time, uh, that you can see when you're on the right path and you can see when, when you're well and when you aren't. And 
sometimes there's it sometimes it takes something external and i think that it's another jordan peterson rule is uh act as if the person you're speaking to knows something you don't right um being being willing to receive feedback so that you can correct your path is important and i think that for me wellness is just pause there i don't know okay, we can edit it <laughs> we'll, out we'll edit it out yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it almost sounds like you're talking a little bit like alignment you know like you're you're you you said something about path right mm-hmm. that's exactly it and I, I think like those those types of words come through my mind and then i try to find something else because i don't want to sound trite or i don't want to sound like like Thanks, i'm just <laughs> no 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 um <laughs> Um, but it is what we were talking about earlier, right? When yeah. like I, I'm, I'm trying to reinvent the wheel right now is right. what I'm actually doing. Yeah. And uh, you're absolutely right that it, it's alignment to the path is, is where I feel my my best. Yeah. So you didn't say anything about nutrition, anything about fitness, but you feel like well. You feel like you are living some form of like goodness. I guess you would say goodness and wholeness. I as think a we, were, we were just talking off. Off, uh, offline. Is that what this is? Sure. Why not? <laughs> off mic. Offline. Uh, off mic. About off about how two months ago I was 12, 15 pounds lighter than I am right now. Yes. Because I wasn't aligned to that. Right. I, I was working myself into the ground. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't fitnessing. Yes. Um, and my body was telling me. Right. It, it took me going to a yoga class and almost passing out in the like after leaving i was probably 15 minutes after i had left the class and, and i was trying to take a shower and cool my body temperature down and i almost blacked out um and like like scary like i'm trying to keep like i learned when uh the blue angels go into like their zero gravity thing in order to keep blood pressure in their their brain they have to like like valsalva maneuver and like mm-hmm. um i'm doing that in the shower to keep myself from completely blacking out because I hadn't eaten anything that day and I'm wow. taking a 7.30 p.m. class and I had just been like flooding myself with coffee and <sighs> what am I saying? This is probably the most like wordy answer to what does wellness mean to you that you've ever had. Um, it's great though because everybody takes it a different direction. That's why I like asking it. Yeah. You know? um, so I guess that it's my way of saying that the fitness, the nutrition thing, um, all of that is implied mm. when I talk about being aligned. And when like when you feel like you're in flow and the world is just going right, it's not extrinsic. It's because you are doing everything well or I to like the best that. of your ability. I love that. Given the tools that you. That's fantastic, <laughs> yeah. man. That really is. I, I don't think I've had anyone take it that direction uh, before with the alignment piece. <laughs> 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 so very cool stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with you for sure. Now that I think about it, it could be summed up as simply as that for sure. Any final thoughts, my friend? I think I've said a lot. <laughs> um, if anyone's still listening, thank you. Yeah, well, uh, it's your I podcast, it. right? So yeah. you're supposed to say a lot. Well, I, I, yeah, but I, I think these things are wonderful because so much of life is is ten second bursts, and like I mean, Instagram used to be fifteen seconds, and now they they then they made it a minute, uh, which is great. But it's still like you can't get anything done in a minute. Um, and so like having an hour, hour and a half to actually like go through and dive in to, to these things is, I love the idea of long form discussion and the fact that someone's going to listen to this and that it might help them, I think is absolutely incredible. So I appreciate the opportunity, man. It's been a, an absolute pleasure for me. I appreciate you sharing your story and, um, being so vulnerable and, uh, dude, 
I mean, I hope we can do this again and again and again. I feel like, uh, I feel like we vibe on a lot of the same wavelengths. So I'd love to pick your brain some more in the future. If for sure. If you'd be up for that. I'd be, yeah, I'm thrilled to. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, you heard it here. Uh, first from James, be sure and check out Hammer. I think all the gyms are going to be hammer very soon. That's right. So that's not a secret anymore. So be sure and check out hammer CrossFit here, here in the Valley. Look up James online. Like you said, we're going to hold you capable. You can find him. You can figure him <laughs> out and connect with him. If you guys are interested in checking out his uh, training systems or his spots that said, guys have a fantastic day and we will check you in the next episode. Take care. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing. And by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.